Welcome to the Church Safety and Security Broadcast with the Church Safety Guys. Brought to you by TwoWayRadioCenter.com, the Motorola value-added reseller. The Church Safety Guys is a nonprofit organization dedicated to equipping the vigilant, those men and women who stand watch, keeping our houses of worship and places of faith safe. We believe church safety and security must be a ministry first and have engaged servant leaders who continually strive for excellence and teams of motivated volunteers that are always training. Join us for the next hour as the Church Safety Guys unpack safety, security, leadership, and ministry operations with your hosts, Dr. James McGarvey and Mike Scully. This broadcast is also available on YouTube, your favorite podcast platforms, churchsafetyguys.com, and on the original Church Security app. Download it today. Feel free to like, subscribe, and share with your ministry. Well, hello and welcome to the Church Safety and Security Broadcast with the Church Safety Guys. I am James, and once again on this broadcast, joined by my co-host, Mike, who... Has his microphone on mute still? Is it Sunday already? <laughs> Holy cow! It's I feel like the week just disappeared, and here we are again. You were right on both accounts. Yes, it did disappear, and yes, it is Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know it's funny. Um, oh, somebody's somebody already posted. I can't see. A lot of times for, for folks at home, like if you're watching us on the broadcast, I can't see always who's responding on Facebook. So in my office, I have a, a screen up behind my camera that le- lets me go into Facebook and respond back and see who's posting and, and see everything. But we already, we already got people messaging that we should take the night off because lions are playing football (laughs) well i mean it is kind of like a solar eclipse but when that happens (laughs) (laughs) honestly i think a solar solar eclipse is probably more interesting (laughs) than uh, i'm sorry i'm a patriots fan what can i say yeah you you know what it's i'll I'll give them their moment it's uh you know my 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 wife's home state originally so you know what there's yeah, there's true. certainly a a rare bird in the air um i i have uh, aunts and uncles that are celebrating for sure um with all that but yes we're here because you know what church is more important than football i said it oh you did say <laughs> you can send all the uh the hate mail directly to uh yeah to mike L- load it up <laughs> my my inbox isn't full enough as it is of course not. But to your point, uh, as far as the, the week goes, yeah, you know, what's interesting is that um, I, for some of you, I think I mentioned it on one of the earlier broadcasts. I'm not sure if I did or not, but um, I've actually changed uh, changed jobs, changed positions, and I've certainly been talking to Mike about it. But um, so to me, I don't, I'm in a, I'm in a different position and certainly the same employer, but it's kind of shifted gears to the point where 
Um, I'm on a team of individuals and I'm responsible for uh, two main things. Uh, we were hired or I was hired and placed into position um, to help folks come back to the office. That's a big thing. Like um, we're trying to migrate and bring folks that are working remote back to the office and reestablish some, some culture and stuff like that. So I was actually part of the team that was brought in to help with that um, and to, to try and fix some of the culture issues and opportunities that we have. And then um, the other piece of that is that I do a lot of public relations. In fact, I'm on the team where if something unique happens, um, you know, again, I, I can't get into a whole lot of details, but my my position has changed to the point where, you know, I have a cell phone, uh, you know, and it's is it red? It's not. I can spray paint it red. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like back in the back in the days of of uh, Batman or Get Smart, where they had yeah. the special phone. I don't have a phone in my shoe. Okay. <laughs> okay. But it's one of those things where it's like, you know, and, and honestly, I'm, I'm blessed. I'm, I'm excited. I like what I, I'm doing now a lot more than I ever have. Um, it's definitely been a providential thing. And, you know, I went from it, to me, I'll just say this and then we'll get on on with the evening. But to me, it's it strikes me as being very much Daniel. And it's, you know, Daniel from the Old Testament. It's like the last 10 years, I've just done the best I could, you know, worked hard, tried to tried to be faithful. And, uh, you know, this job came up and I was like, I didn't even know all of what it was. And I applied and, and was like, Hey, I wonder if this would be a good fit for me. And, um, you know, they ended up coming back and my boss is, is an amazingly strong believer. And, um, she was like, you know what? I love the fact that you're, you're doing stuff with churches and you're helping churches with safety and security and culture. And, you know, that just seems like a very good fit. And then all of a sudden, you know, they, they went ahead and offered me the position, which I took. And what was kind of crazy is I went, literally went from sitting in a back office, you know, down in the, <laughs> in the dungeon, um, looking over, not really the dungeon. That's just me exaggerating, but the fourth basement. The fourth basement. Yeah. I'm like looking over contracts and, and that sort of thing and to literally being on the top floor where my office is next to, um, our, our command center, our command suite, where, you know, basically it's an advisory position to senior management and senior key leaders in central Ohio. And so it's one of those things where I just, again, I just scratch my head because I'm like, is this real? Did I imagine this? <laughs> or is this something where, um, you know, but I referenced it, referenced it to Daniel because I feel like, you know, Daniel was faithful in, in little things and God blessed him. Right. And so I, I feel like to an extent, that that's kind of where I am at the moment that, um, I have an opportunity to do amazing, um, amazing things for good and for positive. And, um, my faith, faith background was, uh, a big factor in why I was selected for that, that position. So 
and I say that not as, again, I'm not saying that to, to be prideful or anything. It's just been a change for me, like a drastic yeah. change, because like I said, I have a phone, I'm kind of on call 24 seven now. So there are times when I'll grab my laptop. I mean, you know how that is. It's like you grab your laptop, run in the office real quick. Okay. I got to send this, <laughs> this email. But I also say that as an encouragement um, to those listening, because if you're in a place most of us don't do church safety full time. Most of us do it as a ministry on the side. And if you're at a place in your job where you feel like it's a dead end and you feel like you're just not getting anywhere, um, you know, stay, stay encouraged because again, uh, God can move and God can do crazy things that you don't, don't expect in ways sometimes you don't expect. Well, and sometimes God uses people differently at different times. I mean, we, sure. we can look at how God used Moses in a leadership position to get them to the the gates of the promised land, but used Joshua to get him through it, uh, get the yeah. Israelites through it. So there's sometimes that changing of the torch that is necessary. And that's even for, for those of us that may be serving in a different capacity of a team. As there's yeah. a time where you might be that leader, yeah. there, there's a time where you may not be that leader. And I think it's it's not about status. It's not about power and control. It's about service and stewardship of the ministry. And I think you've mm -hmm. been certainly blessed with an opportunity to uh, be stretched in a new way and, and uh, deliver for, for, the, for the organization you work for. Well, and it's funny you mentioned you mentioned Moses because I had something come up, uh, some emails. I was sending emails out. Emails were flying, and my boss was like, "Someone, <laughs> someone emailed me and said, oh, I want to meet with you because it's easier to meet than having have email.'" And that person was one of the top uh, top individuals uh, at the organization that I work for. And so I went into my boss and I said, I, I kind of feel like Moses right now. Like, I feel like I'm not equipped to have this conversation. And she's like, she just looked at me. She's like, you're fine. You, you will do fine. I have complete confidence in you. Everybody loves you. She's like, if you honestly, she's like, if you keep doing what you're doing, you're not going to be in this position long. You're going to be in a higher position. Like we're going to promote you because you're doing well. And I'm like, Hey, <laughs> like I like my job. Leave me alone. You hey, but you find a position that's when you find an opportunity and, and God uses you in a specific way. I think that's that's in any ministry position or in our, our, our lay jobs and things like that. I think it's there's seasons where you feel like you're firing on all cylinders and you're meant where you're supposed to be. Yeah. Uh, and you are where you're meant to be, essentially. And then there's other times where you feel like it's a job and it's paycheck and why am I doing this? And oh yes, uh, take care of the family and so forth. But I think it's it's sure. it's always made clear. I mean, I think we have we can have seasons of that like that in our ministries too, where it's like you know what things were going smooth, and or now it's uh, you could be in a season where you know what a couple of folks may have left for uh, either retirement. Uh, they're just kind of uh, getting a bit too old and felt they couldn't continue or maybe somebody moved away or any yeah. number of circumstances, but really those challenging seasons. And I think that's where uh, it, it coming from a high, it can feel that that low can feel even more of a contrast. So I think it's just a matter of Definitely. having, having faith and praying through that 
that season as well um, and not just uh, think that you're now doing wrong because it's in a tough season. And that's that's very that's very true for sure. Well, if you have joined us, if this is the first time in a while or uh, you're just now finding us, welcome. Thanks for hanging out with us. Uh, as always, uh, we encourage you to click the like, share, and comment with us. Um, if you're watching this at a later time on YouTube, please feel free to click the like and subscribe button in the lower right-hand corner. Um, also, we're here, and uh, this is our ministry, so uh, you're welcome to reach out to us through our website, which is churchsafetyguys.com, or you can reach out to us through the Church Security app, and that's available on, on Google or iOS platforms, uh, free to download, free to register. Thanks to our sponsors and, um, folks that we, we do ministry with and that support us, uh, in this endeavor. So good stuff. Um, before we run out of time, I want to introduce our guest and bring our guest in. So usually we try to do at least, uh, at, at least one episode a season talking about trafficking and, how churches can be involved in, in that sort of thing. And so uh, came across a gentleman, uh, and I'll introduce him as Victor. Uh, he's choosing to, to join us on the broadcast and share some of his story. Um, but uh, for, for safety's sake and whatnot, um, obviously that's not his name, and he's not going to go into a whole lot of crazy detail, but I will bring him in and, and we can chat with him on the topic. So we don't have all that budget and things like that to kind of do the the sleight of trick camera and lighting and all the other stuff. So I'm so sorry, that, I, that's not part of our budget. <laughs> budget? What budget? I know, right? <laughs> so, uh, Victor, are you there? Yeah. Yeah. How's it going? Okay. Awesome. Well, cool. Welcome to the show. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. So if you, if you would... Um, just kind of go through your your background and experience for for our listeners and um, kind of how you got into addressing some of the the trafficking stuff and uh, that would be great yeah sure um i guess starting off you know i grew up in a church as well uh always doing mission trips and stuff um i think that's where it started i just always had kind of a calling of having a mission going out and serving uh, when I was 16, I joined the fire department. I've been in the fire department probably for uh, over a decade now. Um, so I've just always been into some sort of service, sort of rescue skill. Um, right after high school, joined the military. I'm still currently in the military. Was in law enforcement for a little bit, uh, real brief. And then I remember meeting up with my pastor. Uh, my pastor and I had a pretty close relationship and we just kind of catch up, get lunch every now and then. And I just kind of told him, you know, here's where I've, where I came from. Here's where I am now. You know, mm -hmm. in the military, you're not, you're not a humanitarian, right? You're a soldier uh, and you have orders. You do what you're told. Um, but you don't really get to choose who you help, right? You're told who you help. And I remember that being kind of um, just something that bothered me. At the time, this was about, I want to say 2019. And, you know, I was like, I really like the stuff I learned in the military, but I just wish there was more of a humanitarian goal behind it. You know, like, I just don't really feel like I'm necessarily helping someone. Um, 
Sure. And I want to be clear, that's not how I feel necessarily about the military and, and every service member. That's just how I felt at the time. I don't necessarily feel that way now. Um, he was like, yeah, well, we got, you know, a guy that goes to the church and he's got this nonprofit that rescues kids from trafficking. And I was like, you're just telling me this now, you know, like this is something <laughs> I would have loved to do a long time ago. He's like, yeah, I just never thought about it until now. And he's like, well, I'll tell you what, you know, next time we get lunch, I'm going to give you his card. And then, so about a year passed, it's 2020 COVID and stuff's all happening. Um, and we met at, I think at his house and he's like, Hey man, I got a card for you. And I completely forgot about the last conversation we had. I was like a card, like a birthday card. Like, why would I want a card? You know? And, um, he just hands me a card, uh, with the name of the gentleman that we were talking about with his organization. And was like, they're expecting your call, man. Like, go ahead and give them a call. And I was like, awesome. And it was like Christmas, you know? Um, I, I remember like at the time I was living up on like the third floor of an apartment building, sped home, sprinting all the way up the stairs, was out of breath and was already, I think like dialing the number. Um, by the time I, I made it up those flights of stairs. So I was out of breath and just, excited to talk to this guy. Um, we'll just call him Bob. Like Bob was a pastor, uh, was also a military vet and ran this organization that countered human trafficking overseas. Um, covert is like deniable clandestine is like, we were never here. So it was more covert. Um, like you would pretend like you were like a humanitarian or something. Uh, and you would do humanitarian work when you're overseas too, that way you're not lying when you're over there. Um, so normally you would have a secondary objective of like doing medical or providing medical equipment, building wells or something that way. If like traffickers would confront you, you can say, Oh yeah, no, we're just here doing humanitarian work. So you're not lying. Um, but you're also denying about like taking children out of trafficking, but I'll kind of leave it at that. I don't know. Sure. More in depth uh, of questions you have. So, yeah, that's awesome. I actually, it's funny. Um, I actually joined the the fire department when I was 16 as well and uh, jumped, jumped through some hoops and they didn't want me. I just, I hung out at the, <laughs> I hung out at the fire station enough that they were finally like, okay, we'll give this kid some training and, <laughs> and he's already might as well. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. So from a, I guess from a, a standpoint then of, of being pulled in and, and doing stuff like that, um, was that, that pastor Bob, was he, was he already doing uh, like actively doing stuff outside of the country or was it mostly like, was it mostly out of the country or in the country, I guess is what I'm uh, out, of, out of the U S yeah. Okay. Uh, so I believe it started in Europe like back in the nineties after the USSR during like that temporary anarchy there. So there was just a lot of opportunity for that to happen. And I'll kind of talk about later on, you know, like when is human trafficking most prevalent? Like when you, can you expect it? Um, but start out in Europe and then like at, by 2021, I want to say like they were in, Africa in the Middle East the most, and I believe South America. Um, I, I don't know what they're currently doing right now. I mostly do stuff stateside. 
Okay. But yeah. That's good stuff. So when you do, I, I'm assuming when you do stuff stateside, you're, you're looking at um, different communities where you have a higher, a higher, I guess, percentage of that going on. Um, and, and I'm assuming you, you have a group of people that do it with you as well. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, obviously you can imagine traffic just going to look pretty different based off of culture, what country you're in, uh, mm -hmm. and just the state of that, that community. So like, for instance, like in, like in Vietnam, for example, there'll be guys that come from like the cities and they go out to those rural farm areas and are like, Hey, like, listen, your kids, how about what we'll do? We'll take them into the city, teach them a job skill or a trade. They make a bunch of money for you. And then after like a few months to a year, we'll drop them back off. You know, now your family has money while you mm -hmm. still work on the farms and stuff. And then they never come back. Um, the most probably common right now is the border. Um, you'll sure. see like, We'll just say like, just throwing rough numbers out there, like 10 kids with one male adult. And when he gets questioned by the border police or whatever, he's like, oh yeah, these are all my kids, like nieces, nephews, and some of my own. And then they separate them just to see if their stories add up. Like, is this really, you know, your dad? Is this really your uncle? And then, you know, 90% of the time they don't. So, so much time of trafficking. Um, the type that I see uh, a lot in the States is like, the ones that I track anyways are like ones that don't even leave people's homes uh, or their hometowns. So a lot of people think that like trafficking, you have to be moved from point A to point B, like cross state lines or some sort of border, which is, that's not true at all. Um, so there's, there's definitely a lot of misconceptions about it. Um, I do have a team. I work with a few different organizations. I'll probably, name a few that I've worked with in the past and, and stuff, but towards the end. So yeah, yeah, I got a team. That's great. Have you found that through that? Um, I mean, you, you kind of explained kind of a big, a big gold nugget there, uh, kind of the fact of trafficking and, and understanding its definition and what the scope of that truly look looks like. Um, do you want to expand a little bit about that specifically on, um, the, the problems that you're seeing, uh, you said kind of the where in the different spots, uh, expand upon trafficking as a definition for our audience and uh, help them kind of understand that a bit more. Yeah. So like trafficking by definition is when, when somebody is coerced into um, basically losing their consent, their free will, and being either forced labor, that could be sex slaves, that could be blackmail, money, um, child soldiers is another example. So basically you're coerced into um, doing a forced task or labor. So I already, I, like I said, I already gave a few examples like with child soldiers sure. and stuff in Africa. Um, or even like gangs in America, you know, that technically could be too. Like there's not a lot of opportunity in the community um, and like gangs you know yeah. try to get these kids to join at a young age because there doesn't seem to be any other opportunity um, and they mm -hmm. they basically make convince them that there is no other opportunity this is the only way you can go to have community and be successful 
and then they end up making them doing horrible stuff. Maybe they make them do drug trafficking for them. Uh, drug trafficking is normally always linked to human trafficking, at least with what I've seen. So some of my guys have worked with some of the drug task force guys out here quite a bit and just kind of helped out. Sometimes it turns into something, sometimes it doesn't. Um, just another few examples of just stuff I've seen in the States, like 14 year old girl is texting what she thinks is a 14 year old boy over Snapchat or something, some sort of social media platform. And it turns out that 14 year old boy is a four year old man. And he blackmails that girl for pictures, inappropriate pictures. Maybe it's money favors, whatever, you know, like that, that kid's going to be so ashamed that, you know, she's probably not even tell her parents or teachers, right? So she's basically a slave while still living a regular routine. And I mean, there's horror stories, right, of of teens killing themselves over that, right? So, I mean, they're, they're being a slave within their own lifestyle. Um, a lot that I've seen have been tied with drugs. So, like, mom and dad are druggies. Um, but, like, you know, I, I know both of you have lawn sport uh, experience, I believe, but maybe you've seen it, you know, situations where there's some, there's a lot of things pointing that these parents just are unfit, but child services or whatever just doesn't have enough on them to like really take the kids for whatever reason, or maybe it just isn't reported. Um, but mom and dad are druggies, can't get a job. However, they know a lot of creeps because of drug dealing and stuff. So they're like, hey, listen, for $200, you can have two hours with my kids uh, and basically prostitute their kids. Unfortunately, I know um, a few survivors of that that actually are involved with me in counter-trafficking. Some run their own organizations and they're just amazing people, you know, but so it's, it's a very real thing. I think it's roughly like 40%, at least in America, of trafficking cases, like families get them involved into trafficking. Um, so that's just one example. Um, and then maybe like they realize, oh, this makes us a lot of money. Well, let's just make child porn, right? And then sell it because, you know, you can sell drugs, right? Like one time or like people can use them one time. People can, can use a human being multiple times in one day. Uh, so it's just, it's probably the, one of the biggest industries right now, unfortunately. So it's interesting. It's interesting real quick that you, um, you mentioned the idea of gangs because up until recently, um, probably, I don't know, three or four months ago, I would have, I wouldn't have thought that, um, we had a, we actually had a family in our church that, I know very well that uh, their son was going to school and got uh, got associated, I guess, with a gang and and part of the initiation uh, process that um, they they put to him was basically running away and doing a bunch of other things. And so I actually worked with um kind of the liaison between, uh, two, two churches and, uh, search, you know, a search group and law law enforcement, several different law enforcement agencies, uh, trying to find him and trying to get him out of that situation. And, um, thankfully, and I, I do think that it, that was a God thing. Uh, we were able to find him, locate him, get him out, get him, 
get him some help and that sort of thing. But um, it was so, I guess it was so in depth and so detailed just from the aspect of, um, you know, I had a chance to work with several, several detectives and, and law enforcement to try and find him and bring him back. And it was amazing to me how, <laughs> how little, um, access like they had with social media, with different things like that. And everything so took so much time. It was, it was very frustrating, um, just to try and, you know, narrow down, like one of the officers contacted, uh, several social media platforms to try and get information, to ping his IP address, to figure out where he was, to, you know, all this stuff. And it really, to me, it really kind of put it in a whole new light. And, um, just from the aspect of, you know, we, we talk about church safety teams a lot and different ministries and how that impacts the church. Um, I didn't assume, like, I didn't think that I would end up being in a search party, working with law enforcement to try and find this young man. Um, but it was one of those things where the dad called me and he's like, Hey, I know that you work with law enforcement sometimes. Um, I know, you know, stuff, can you come over and can you help us? And, you know, and so it's, it was, it was kind of an interesting dynamic, but at the same time, it was also very eye opening to me to say, this is stuff that's, that's really practical. Um, and if you think that maybe from a church perspective, if you think you're never going to have that, if you're listening, you know, for those of you that are listening, you think you're never going to have that opportunity to say, um, Hey, you know, <laughs> um, this is never going to happen to me. I'm never going to be involved with it. Sometimes this pops up for other families in the church and you just don't know what that's going to look like or, or how that's going to look like. And your involvement can be, you know, a, a stable thing, helping the family. Like there were several times I was literally knocking on doors, trying to find, um, this, this couple's son and, um, talking to them, talking to police officers, you know, coordinating search efforts with the, with the police officers. And, um, there was one time where I had to grab the dad because he just got so frustrated and upset. He was trying to explain to somebody and, and he just, he was losing it. And so I had to step in and, and grab him and just be like, Hey man, let's take a break. You know, let's walk away. We're going to find him. Call, you know, we're doing the best we can. We've got these resources. So yeah, one of the things that jumped out that that kind of when you were talking earlier about the uh, those that sometimes are trafficked, they're not even leaving their own hometown, kind of really stood out. I think even in that sense is that they're they're essentially sometimes prisoners in their own lives, in their own homes. That they're not they they may not show it, they may not give it away. Whether that's they've been threatened, they've threatened to hurt their or harm their parents or someone they love or whatever it might be. Um, I've definitely read a few stories related to that. Certainly a big, uh, I do a lot of reading on tech and so forth and uh, being in a tech uh, career and how many times folks are using that uh, to spoof people, to to get into blackmail and are using innocuous things, uh, whether it's simple chat or even hidden chats within certain apps and 
ways to circumvent any sort of monitoring or parental software that gets in there and and they get their teeth kind of sucked into them and end up trapped um, with that. So do you have folks that are reaching out? I mean, are kids reaching out via a hotline and then you're pursuing or something like that or, or explain how you get involved in perhaps another situation? Yeah, yeah. So we do have a hotline um, for local, local area. And um, either we get calls from law enforcement. They're like, hey, you know, there's a bunch of weird stuff going on here, but not enough for us to get a warrant. Could you check it out? Um, sometimes it's parents. Sometimes it's the victims themselves. Uh, sometimes I'll tell you that it's not a lot of children that we get. It is just a lot of women that feel trapped in a scenario. And also just going to you, like, sometimes it's nothing. Like sometimes it's like someone involved in trafficking uh, or like might've been helping out the trafficker and is trying to get out um, or at least seem more innocent. Like one of the victims, cause she thinks that they're going to get caught. That's happened a few times. Mm, that makes um, sense. But, but a lot of the times it's like law enforcement calling out and are like, we don't we don't have enough here for a warrant, but there's a lot of weird stuff here. Like there's been some stuff that have happened at Airbnbs, massage parlors, adult stores, hotels. Um, there was like a few apartment complex that we believe there was stuff going on. Um and stuff like that. So I mean, yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's other organizations too that are just like, you know, this is closer to your area. Do you think you could like work with us or what there's been a few uh, attorneys that actually have their own like task force team of volunteers. Um, and that can look different depending where you go. Some of them are more like some all civilians and their main thing is to spread awareness and kind of like teach schools and hotels and stuff like that. Like how to deal with it. If you see it or how to recognize it and how to deal with it. If you do see it, there's others that are like all law enforcement and you know they have detectives and stuff so the task force i've seen with actual law enforcement behind it i haven't seen a ton of those to be honest with you i've seen maybe two in my area uh, of the states but i don't for the most part i see it's mostly nonprofits, private security companies private investigators um or volunteers like attached to an office or something so do you, do you find that oftentimes, and, and I don't know what, I guess, what demographic or what region or what type of region you generally um, work in, but do you find oftentimes that people are just in denial over that sort of thing happening because maybe their neighborhood is affluent or kind of a nice nicer or what we would classify as maybe middle-class or upper-class type environment. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll just, for area sake, I'll say I'm more East coast. Uh, but we also, we do stuff all over. Sure. Uh, depending, but mostly East coast. And I mean, I currently live in a pretty, pretty nice area. Um, not a whole lot goes on here, but there's a lot of highways, a sure. lot of highways, um, and there's an entire task force team here uh, of volunteers that just deal with with that, you know, spreading awareness, 
talking to the hotels and stuff around here to kind of tell them what it could look like all the truck stops. Um, and I'm sure they do some other stuff too, as far as, um, working with law enforcement. I don't work with them too closely, but like that surprises a lot of people because, you know, normally it's like tax fraud. Like that's the type of area, um, that, sure. that I'm in. So when I start telling them like, Oh yeah, there's a whole task force team here. They're like, no, there's no way. And then I start talking like, well, there's a lot of highways. There's a lot of hotels. Um, there was one that was kind of quietly shut down because of prostitution. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, yeah, unfortunately. It's interesting. We, we have, where I am in, in central Ohio, we have um, quite a few interstates that go through. And it was interesting to me. I mean, I live in more of a, a rural area and we had, I think it was about a year or two ago, we actually had a, um, a task force, a law enforcement task force, uh, break up a trafficking, uh, ring. And I think they ended up arresting something like 13 or 14 people. And it was in, in my community and everybody was just completely, that's why I asked about denial because I haven't, honestly, I haven't seen an area where people aren't necessarily in denial of it happening because for us in our area, it was like people were just shocked and, and, and blown away that something like that would happen in, in our, you know, in our town and our village. And the reality is, you know, we have, I don't know, five or six interstates around us with, you know, several state highways that go to others, you know, West Virginia, Virginia, uh, Kentucky, uh, Pennsylvania. So we're kind of, again, we're in the Midwest, but it's, it's one of those things that, um, certainly makes for a ripe, ripe situation with the highways and stuff. We see that heavily. I'm in central Texas and we have the, the 35 corridor, which comes up from uh, the border. And, and we see a lot of effect from that, not just as of late with all the activity, um, but there's also in our own city, I mean, we're relatively medium sized city, about 130, 140,000 people, um, uh, where I live. And, uh, within that there's, there's pretty active, uh, regular, um, efforts by volunteer groups, um, not necessarily looking just from a, from a trafficking or other perspective, but just a crime prevention overall kind of looking at everything from thefts to noise complaints to uh, uh, break-ins to any sort of uh, behavior that is um, outside the norm and, and calling attention to it. So there's a there's definitely a regular effort to kind of uh, um, keep each of the hotels in this area on the main interstate kind of an under semi-regular observation. I mean, it's not consistent. It's not a stakeout per se. But it's a continual, at least trying to have a presence um, to keep a safer environment. So we do see that pretty active in our city. Yeah, yeah, that's great. What? Um, let's uh, let's shift gears a little bit for sake of time. And what do you think? Um, just for some some folks, maybe some folks that aren't really familiar with. Uh, what to look for, or maybe how how to go about involving authorities on, you know, some activity that 
I mean, they might have looked at something and said, this just doesn't seem right. Something's off, but not taking it any further just because they don't they don't know. Um, what are the what are the type of things that you would recommend people look for from a standpoint of trying to, um, I guess, identify a red flag if if they see something like that? Yeah, so quite a few. I mean, like, so massage parlors and certain restaurants, for example, if if you see perhaps like the massage parlor and they're open at weird hours or like maybe their website says we're closed at nine o'clock, but then at 10 o'clock you drive by and there's a lot of cars there, a lot of trucks or something, um, that could be a sign, especially if there's no cars there when they're open and they're out, like there's nobody else there. Like, how are these workers leaving? You know, that might be an indication that they're living there. Um, there was a situation where there was like this restaurant um, of minorities and they kept changing every two weeks. And like, they kind of avoid people like in the front of the store or this restaurant store. Um, and it turned out it was trafficking and it was shut down. I don't know what came of it. I wasn't involved in that one, but it happened in the town right beside me um as far as like maybe your hotel worker working a school or something you know there's there's kind of like a gray area of like is this domestic abuse is this trafficking sure there's always going to be arguments of like oh prostitution should be legal or like who would put themselves in that situation you know unless they weren't desperate um it's like obviously prostitution and stuff hotels if like even just working like in, in regular jobs, like with customers and stuff, like there might be, I don't know, a husband that's talking for his wife and the wife is like kind of shy and anxious and, you know, is like kind of waiting for permission to talk or be spoken to, you know, like, so that, that might be like a very isolated, like domestic case that might not necessarily be trafficking, obviously still report that, you know what I mean? Um, but those are just a few ways. Um, kind of talking about like the whole kid situation with social media and stuff. I'm not a parent, and I always tell this when I'm I'm talking to people. Like I'm not telling you how to parent. Sure. I just that boils down to just having a very trustworthy, open relationship with them, and like, hey, you can talk to me about these things. Um, but explain why. You know, you don't want them like I, I know some parents take their kids phones or their tablets away like before they go to bed or something like that. Um, just maybe explain why you're doing it, you know, like under, explain the boundaries. Don't just be like, because I'm your dad, you know, I think giving an explanation <laughs> yeah. of like, you know, setting boundaries or for mental health, whatever it is, you know, and like I said, I'm not a parent. I'm not telling you how to parent, but just at least explain the why explain what trafficking looks like. Like don't sugarcoat that with your kids. I think it's a very, you're more likely to have your kids traffic through social media than just getting abducted on the street. Right? Like kidnapping is when you're tricked into something over a period of time. That could be a day that could be a year, years, you know, uh, abduction is when like you're forced into a van bag over your head, like against your own will fighting, kicking, that happens like maybe one in 100,000 um, cases, 
you know, very rare. So I think just having that, that open conversation and having, having a relationship that you can communicate like, Hey, there's a weird guy messaging me on social media, you know, dad, like, okay, you know, cool. So, and yet that, that's kind of the story that I think uh, many parents, I think grow up or at least as kids, you hear it growing up and then we seem to pass it on to our kids. It's the, it's the kidnapping risk. And maybe that's a, the uh, irrational fear to some degree and maybe overemphasized and carried on the next generation, et cetera. But you're absolutely right. I think there's tremendous potential to have age appropriate conversations. And I think that the degree of the why you, you hit it on the head there with, with give them the purpose, give them the, the, the background. But really, I think there's an there's an opportunity to continue to have that conversation at different ages with different degrees of what's age appropriate, different, uh, uh, um, clarity and even poignant stories that may hit home. And really it's about, ultimately it's about protecting them and that there's things that we can see as adults at times that they may not see and just give them an opportunity to, uh, have that conversation right up front. And you're absolutely right. Create an environment where they feel that they can be safely speak to their parents. And it, it sounds weird, but you, you, sometimes it can feel like, oh, I'm never going to tell my dad or I'm never going to tell my mom. Um, you really want to create that open environment. One of the, well, and to that, honestly, to that point, one of the things that we did was we set up um, for, on social media, we set up accounts with our kids and obviously we adhered to the eight, I guess, age appropriateness of, you know, Facebook, Instagram, other, other social media platforms give a specific age where you can't sign up where we've had. And I know people that have signed up their kids early <laughs> and by violating that. Um, but, you know, one of the things that we did was we set up a, uh, an email account and either I'm on the account with my, my child or my wife is. And so we get like, we see all the emails that come in, we see, we have access and when they got to an appropriate age, then yes, we took our name off and just gave them the account and that was fine, you know, for them to use. But we've had, you know, we've had several situations where, some of the rules that, you know, we've had in the house, you know, when you're on a, a social media based gaming thing, this is the, you know, you can play with your siblings or your cousin or family members, but that's it. If you don't know the person, you don't play with them, you know, and it's, it's, we've had that and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie and say that's easy either because we've had various situations with kids where that, that boundary was tested and pushed that, that made us kind of sit down with them and say, okay, now this is why it's not to try and scare you, but sometimes, you know, people, people can, um, have ill intent and, and come after you. And, you know, I think that I was actually, I was going to ask you, Victor, if they, if you've had any situations specifically where you've seen churches involved or, or something like that, because we, I would say probably in the last year or two, especially we've seen an uptick on people going into churches, like with the teen group and getting to know them and pretending to be a leader or trying to be involved to build that, 
um, that connectivity with individuals and kind of use that, you know, to go further and they were stopped. And I'm just curious if, if that's a trend that you're seeing or if, if that's something that you've dealt with at all. Yeah. So I know, I know it happens. Absolutely. Unfortunately, people do use religion and spirituality as well uh, to kind of use that vulnerability to get closer. Um, I have actually seen like personally how to deal with a situation at my home church. Um, it wasn't like a team lead or a pastor or anything like that, but it was like an active member of the church. Uh, and this gentleman was friends with my father, um, was on the board and stuff for the church. I grew up with his two daughters. Um, we're all like, you know, in their, their thirties and stuff now, but what was going on was that like during COVID he kind of, I guess went off the deep end. I don't know. I still don't know the full extent of what was going on. It seems like there were some marriage issues there, some fighting, um, decline in mental health, but then he kind of disappeared for a little bit was in apparently New Mexico for a while. Um, and I guess was trying to like start a prostitution ring. Um, I guess you believe that there was just good money in it and like, Hey, you're, you're choosing this life if you come and do it, you know? So like, I'm not bad for, for starting this. And I guess he tried to get his daughters involved in it. Now they're, they're fine. Don't worry. Like they're, um, like I said, they're, they're adults, like they're out and stuff, but they're, they're in a safe area and police were involved. But, um, he came to the church and was like causing an issues and stuff. And I, I actually helped teach security teams too. Um, so our security team was, was handling it and just kind of keeping distance between like the pastor and him and all. And eventually he just left. I think, I, I believe he's homeless now. Um, there's a little more to it than that, but it's unfortunately a really good example. Cause I mean, when I'm teaching, whether it's law enforcement guys, security teams, or just citizens learning self-defense, they're always trying to tell me like, Oh yeah. Like we bought all these new cameras in the church. Like we can see a bad guy approaching all the way from the back of the parking lot. We have 360 angles and stuff, or like maybe police are practicing drawing from their holster within two seconds to eliminate, you know, the threat. And I'm always like, yeah, that's cool. What's a bad guy look like? You know, <laughs> we, we want to have this idea of this very stereotypical bad guy, right. That we can point to and be like, that guy is a trafficker. That guy is a criminal. We don't want it to be somebody that we grew up like in perhaps a church with or someone we might've called a close family friend, you know, or else, I mean, if you think about it, like if, if it was obvious who the traffickers were, it wouldn't affect as many people as it does now, which I think worldwide is, I think last time, like in the, in the millions, you know, um, yeah. like it wouldn't affect that many people if it was obvious, you know? So it's hard because, you know, with, as a church and, and we're just about out of time. So I'll kind of wrap, wrap up and then see if maybe Mike has anything he wants to add finally, but it's hard because, you know, the, the whole purpose of the church is to be involved in the community and to support the community and, and, um, make a difference. And so it's always a balance. And, and we run into this with churches all the time. It's, it's always a balance between knowing what's, what's good and what's possible versus, you know, 
saying, okay, wait a second, it, we're, we're involved with this. So what are we bringing in as well as what are we going out to, to help with? And I think oftentimes, um, in fact, there was a discussion in one of our social media groups earlier today about an individual that was offering to help, um, a 24 year old individual male that was offering recently divorced and was offering to help some middle schoolers ministries within the church. And the individual, the safety team director was actually kind of <clears throat> apprehensive of that. And so, you know, thinking about it, really the best, best thing to do is to be aware and to harness that awareness and, um, sometimes the only, I think the only way to really be aware is to be involved. So if you are, if you are trying to set up a safety team in your church and you're thinking, okay, you know what, how can I possibly be involved? Well, one of the things that I used to do is every Wednesday night when we had a service, I would walk, like all of our posts were, were situated. I would walk to each ministry and I would look to see who is there. I would watch how they interacted. I would go and talk to leaders. I would go, you know, to the teens. I'd go to the kids. I'd go to the adults. But I would kind of, in a sense, it's, and we've said this before, it's really a lot of public relations. So it's like, okay, I'm interacting with all these other leaders and I'm, I'm getting to know people. I'm, I'm seeing how they're acting. I'm seeing what's going on and really trying to build that big picture away from a bias saying, okay, you know what? I don't know what every bad person is always going to look like, but I know what's right and wrong in this environment because I'm familiar with it and I'm aware of it. So taking that opportunity and I've had situations before where, um, I've, I've gone to our church leaders and said, you know what? So-and-so is serving in the children's ministry. I'm not really comfortable with it. I don't know why, but I'm getting some, I'm getting some crazy vibes with this. And I just feel like we need to keep an eye on this situation and watch, watch them because stuff isn't, this just isn't adding up right. Or like maybe the, per, an individual will come to a pastor and say, Hey, I want to, I want to serve in your church, but I'm letting you know, this is on my background check. Cause I know you guys are going to run a background check. So we look at the background check and then it's like, well, this isn't adding up with what he, he or she said <laughs> it was in their background. Like they were trying to be, you know, on the offense and be like, Hey, I'm letting you know ahead of time, this is what, you know, you're going to find. But then when we look at it, you know, I'll have, have a pastor say to me, well, what does this mean? Like on their background, because that's not what they said. So those are, to me, those are the biggest things like, um, that as an individual that you can look for and just say, okay, you know what, if I'm involved, if I'm, if I'm doing everything and interacting and connecting with every ministry and people like, like we should be, then, um, it may not, it may be a situation that's not avoidable, but at least it'll give you the opportunity to, um, to build an understanding and build, you know, build, success at saying, you know what, this just isn't right. And, and having a more solid awareness with what's going on. But, um, Mike, do you have anything? 
No, I think I, there's been some great things, I think, said tonight. I think it, uh, some clarification there and the differences and, and uh, people's potential understanding or misunderstanding of trafficking itself. Um, some great points about certainly how it how it ties, what, what to look for, how you might see it manifest itself within a church setting. Um, but it's really good to have you on the show. Appreciate uh, you taking the time to help educate our audience. Yeah, thank you guys for having me on. I really appreciate it. All right, I am gonna go ahead and we'll wrap wrap stuff up. All right, so um, real quick again, thanks for hanging out with us on this broadcast. And uh, as always, uh, you can reach out to us through our website, which is churchsafetyguys.com. And uh, if we can help you out or help your church out in any way, please feel free to reach out and, and we will do the, the best we can to facilitate that. Um, stuff coming up in the near future, uh, just to let you know, um, you can visit our website again, churchsafetyguys.com. There is a, an event or conference link. And so you can see stuff that, uh, that we have coming up. Probably the biggest thing uh, at the moment is our, uh, church security essentials in the great state of Texas this year Woo-hoo. for 2024. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like if I, if I show up, I need to, to pick up a cowboy hat and, <laughs> or bring, nope. bring the one I have so that, uh, I can fit in better, but it was funny. I moved here and people, I, I literally had somebody <laughs> say, have you got your Texas starter kit yet? Uh, cowboy boots, cowboy hat, and an AR-15, <laughs> especially coming from Massachusetts. <laughs> Which is funny, you know, because most, there's what, like three or four gun manufacturers started in Massachusetts. So it's like, oh my goodness, that's funny. But uh, but yeah, so visit our website or you can visit churchsafetyconference.com. Um, we did have, I know we've had a few churches reach out to us and uh, and talk about bringing their teams. So, um, I'm not going to say <laughs> what's that. <laughs> I know my church is, Oh we, yeah. We, we talked about it at our quarterly training and everybody's, uh, working on signing up. So, yeah. And, and I won't say that we're, uh, we're sold out cause we're not. Um, but I will say that there are certain, certain, uh, things during the weekend. It's, it's actually Friday, Saturday, and then, um, there's some training on Sunday that you can attend as well. But I will say if you're planning on going, please take advantage of, of the current early bird rate and, uh, and definitely sign up because uh, there are things that there are sections and segments that are limited in seating. And we are starting to see, um, see those, those sections or segments uh, fill up pretty quickly. So um, check it out. And then if you have any, any concerns or any questions about that, feel free to reach out and, um, we'd love to see you love to have the the opportunity to spend the weekend with you and, uh, folks from your church. And we'll have a ton of, of great resources and great, um, great content there. So, uh, but other than that, until next time, we will say, have a, have a great night, uh, have a great week take care and uh, God bless.
Thank you for joining the Church Safety Guys broadcast, brought to you by Vigilant Impact. We hope that you found it informative and we appreciate your feedback and interaction. Be sure to share our broadcast with your teams, join the discussion online, and connect with us on social media or at our website at churchsafetyguys.com. For other great ministry resources, download the Church Security app. Remember, keep a servant's heart, a mindset of ministry, and semper disciplina. Always be training. Have a blessed week.